for all my people out there that got a job. Don't make unnecessary journeys. Don't take risks on treacherous roads. And don't swim in the sea. Incredibly, people have been spotted in the water here in Black Rock and Salt Hill, both today and yesterday. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Brie the Black Sheep. I'm your host, Brie the Black Sheep, the Black Bachelorette, self-proclaimed, because I don't want these niggas, these niggas want me. And that is a viral TikTok going around on the TikTok because we are currently being flooded out in New York City right now. And that is a woman going in basically saying, stay your ass the fuck off the roads. The flooding is so bad, y'all. The BQE express highway has been completely flooded cars and the bronx are all the way up to their like above their rooftops we have i haven't seen any deaths be reported as of this moment but it ha- it is really scary so many people's ho- homes have been flooded basements have been flooded sensors have been ruined and you know that's always devastating to know that so much of your work and your craft and your beauty and your home is going to be destroyed. So again, climate crisis is real. It's been scary. I stayed in the house all day. The rain was such like a vibe and a mood. I just stayed in bed the whole day and I'm like, okay, let me get up, record, do the shit that I got to do. So hopefully everyone is safe. I've checked with all my peeps. We all good. So I mean, what can we really do but try to survive the flood apocalypse? Okay, so last night was our volleyball game, y'all. It was our championship game. It was fucking phenomenal, okay? The game was incredible. I'm so proud of my team. A shout out to y'all if y'all are listening. Love y'all to death. We are now a year deep in playing together, knowing each other, getting the perfect team together, getting our vibe together, playing with each other, knowing each other, figuring out how to support each other. It's different when you just get on the court and just play with anyone and it gets like very cool when everyone is like cohesive, plays off each other. We have the perfect um, like formation, our lineup, everything. And I, like our rotation is dope. I'm just with it. So our championship game was last night. If we won the first round, we go to, on to the second round. So the first game we played these like amazing, this, this team was incredible. I mean, they were all Japanese. I know that because one of the guys on our team was Korean. He was like, oh, I want to beat them, like, for my ancestors. So the team was Japanese. They were fucking great, y'all, like, killing everything, hitting straight down. And we were like, all right, you know, I love to play a good-ass team. I'm like, it it builds my stamina. I play to a level beyond expectation because I'm like, all right, we doing this. Our energy was fantastic. My girl Samantha came back. She was on, like, this trip been gone forever on her solo dolo trip because she's always out there seeing the world she came back we're like yes let's do this we get on the court they are killing us okay it was like I think one to ten at first we just could not get their serves up we could not their their hits were down and then we just suddenly just woke up and we were like okay we always play a little off then we get it together and we start to catch up we're catching up we're going back and forth I'm like oh okay we can take this we can take this we're we're point to point we catch all the way the fuck up and then they just take a lead we just can't come back so they end up winning the first game right I get a block that was fucking incredible. I was like, okay, I'm feeling it. 
And I'm like, y'all, we're not dropping our energy. We lost by a little bit. We were losing so badly in the first round. I want to say the last game was like 21 to 25. So I feel like we lost by a couple points. I'm like, we in this, we in this. We can get them. There was never a point in time where we let our energy drop. One thing about my team is we will completely like either get blasted or just not do. We usually don't lose, but like we will get like, like being hammered and be down along like a lot of points and we will still continue to like keep our energy like okay we got this next game there's never a point in time we lose a game and we're like okay we just this team is too good no we did not drop our spirit so we come back the second game we are just in it y'all we are our bump set spiking it killing it picking up balls they're like hitting to the ground we're blocking everything our middle blocker Zan, the other middle blocker, is blocking everything. He's like, not in my fucking house. Just everything. And it was so cool because we, we were having mad respect for each other, team to team. Like, damn, this team is doing good. And they were like, damn, they doing good. We all cheering for each other. We killed them the second game. Not killed them, but it was like maybe we had like a such a high lead. And then they started to catch up. And I think it was like 25 to like 18. So we had a pretty big lead. So we're like, okay, this is the third game. We can do this. And this team is is amazing. So it's like, this is the third game. You know, if you get to the very top, you got to win by two. So we're like, we got this. We are so fucking tired. First of all, Samantha has been out a couple weeks. So it's like, she's coming back. We're tired as fuck. It's, it's like, we have been playing on the entire time. Like every round, every minute, every play, everybody is, is, you know, hitting the ball so sometimes in volleyball it's like bump set spike it'll go over that's a point but we everyone was hitting the ball everyone was playing we were tired as shit everyone had to like continue to run save balls so we are exhausted as the third uh round comes comes around I'm sorry the third game comes around not only that but we had no timeouts they were like no timeouts this game (sighs) it was such like a intense game we get up to about 20 it's like 20 to 20 and so we're like oh fuck so it's such a close game we're exhausted at this point they start to pull ahead I think it's like 23 21 at this point and I'm like fuck I'm nervous but I'm like we have to take this we beat them this second game we can do this we can come back so it's like my serve at the end I'm like fuck I'm the type of person that, like, I start to get inconsistent when all the pressure's on me, so I'm, like, nervous. I feel like I try to play perfect all the time. I love to be, like, perfect and not make any mistakes. So I'm just like, fuck, I'm nervous. It's my serve. I get all my serves over. I do not miss my serves at all. I'm proud of myself. And my serve routine is basically I, right when I get the ball, I, like, um, roll the ball in my hand. I bounce it on the ground like it's basketball. And then I tell myself every single time, Bitch, you had two babies. Bitch, you had two watermelon-sized things come out of a golf ball-sized hole. You can do this, hoe. You can do this. If you can shoot these babies out of your fucking ass, you can get the serve over. I say this to myself every motherfucking time that I serve. And I get the ball over because, hello, volleyball player, an athlete, a true icon, you know? So... <laughs> Somehow my team, like, messes up the serve, so I'm like, okay, whatever. It's, it's not on me. I think it's 22-24 at this point, and it's like they have the chance. If they get this point, it's over. But we also are 22, so we can we can do this. So 
We're going back and forth. I can't remember what the play was, but we get it. And I'm like, oh my God, okay. It's 23, 24, we ended up We're so close, we're so close. Oh my God, oh my God. So the ball comes to the back and to the background. I push the ball up and it doesn't go far enough into to the middle row, but my middle, my front row players, we're, they're so exhausted. So they don't want to run to the back row and overshadow the person next to me. But I push it up and I'm in the way of the person coming. So it's like they just could not get there. And I was like, no. And I'm watching it fall because I've already hit the ball. I can't get it twice. And I'm just like, please. And I'm like, help me. And um, my teammate Jackson goes for it. And he's just so very short of it. And the ball drops. And I'm like. Mm, so we lose by two points in the championship round. Not only that, that team goes on to win the entire tournament. So the fact that we lost to the number one team, to me, was a good feeling. Listen, I am not a good sore loser. I am not that bitch. I am not like, oh, great game. Yeah, so happy that we could have came out here and lost. I'm like, fuck you. Fuck your daddy for having you. Your mama should have swallowed. I am like, mm, fuck them niggas, but... I usually, like, after a game, especially if I messed up or especially if I feel like we got cheated, I am out this bitch. You're not seeing Bree. She's gone, okay? I don't even know who I am anymore. I'm just out of there. But this was the first time we lost, and I was so proud of us. I was cheesing. I was like, I don't give a fuck, y'all. My team was actually the ones this time that were like, man, we should have took that. But I was like, nah, I am so – I was, like, on top of the world. It was such an amazing feeling to play a team so good and to be – and to lose – just so short of it I didn't go through a million plays and think what could I've done what should I've done because we played so fucking well I think we all maybe made one mistake literally if any like we just did so good everyone had their serves their kills I'll take it and so I think I went to help a friend go find his ball his ball uh on a on a floor when I came down the team was like let's go drink so afterwards we went to a sports bar and we drank and we celebrated ourselves and I'm just I'm so proud of this volleyball season, okay? We always make it to playoffs. We never not made it to playoffs. And we usually win. We still got our number one shirt. So I'll take it. You know what I'm saying? I'll take it. Okay, so that's how volleyball's going. I'm I'm feeling like very elated on top of the world. I feel good. I'm back into therapy. And at this point, I feel like my therapy is really just maintaining my mental health, maintaining my wellness. And I'm still feeling good. I'm with a therapist who is like really helping me get through the really like traumatic shit that's pissing me off in the moment because we had our second session and trigger warning for all my black women out there. It's about to get a little heavy because I was having a really amazing day and my mom calls and me and her are talking about the colorism shit with Erica Mena and what she said to Spice. And I told her like one of the women I follow What's her name? I'm sorry. She, her Instagram name is Colorism Hillen, and her name is Dr. Sarah L. Webb. She is amazing. I've been following her for a long time. She just recently came to New York to speak about Colorism Hillen. So she basically did the roundtable. We'll cover this later in my nuts, but I was talking to my mom about it, and I was telling her how nothing can trigger someone to being racist. And she's like, yeah, well, yesterday at school, a girl did call Zuri a monkey. My 11-year-old, barely going to middle school, and one of these non-black bitches decided to call her a monkey. I know I'm not supposed to be talking about kids like that, but fuck her and her mama and her ancestors for being racist, okay? I don't give a fuck. 
Um, so it was so triggering for me. It reminded me of all the times I've been calling monkey because while I have never been called the N word in my face, no one has just dropped it on me. I have been called a monkey right in my face. And so and my daughter has been a girl called my daughter a monkey on Twitter and got her ass promptly whooped the next time I saw her. So <laughs> that happened, that part. And so um, it just reminded me of all those things, and it was so triggering. I went through all the ways in which black women are oppressed, how we're treated, how we're just discarded and, like, degraded for absolutely fucking nothing. And so I'm close to tears, and my mom is like, oh, I know she's thinking, why would I even tell her ass? Because it's okay. And I'm like, what happened? Like, should we take her out of school? And she's like, no. I asked her if she's okay, and she was like, yeah, I'm okay. Like, She's like, she was fine. And, and I asked her if she wants to go to another school. And she was like, no, I love my school. And I asked her why it happened or what happened. And she said, to her and a girl don't even talk. She told someone and another per and one of her mutual friends told her, like a girl was just talking about her. And it just pisses me off. My daughter is even darker than I am, like very beautiful, very dark skin. And I know like the plights and battles that I had to fight just being a darker brown shade. She's even darker. And I can only imagine what it is to go through this. So this is all going through my head. I'm upset. I end up telling my mom I have to go. And she's like, oh, okay, call me back. I am furious. I am blowing the school up. I am blowing the school up as in I'm calling the school over and over again for the people who automatically assume that black people are going to bomb some shit or we're aggressive. I am blowing the motherfucking school up. I am Karen calling to go off about how they got me fucked up. And so they won't answer. And thank goodness they did not because I was enraged at the point when this is happening. And I am about to smooth go off on whoever answers this phone. Because one thing I cannot stand is injustice. And you put in my daughter in a situation where she has to experience fucking trauma. If she has to remember this the rest of her life, you going you gonna to have a consequence that matches this little girl. So the rest of the day goes by and I am having the worst work day because I'm so triggered. I'm so upset. And thankfully, I had scheduled a therapy appointment right after work just happened that way I scheduled it the week before my therapist is very busy she works with celebrity clients she's an amazing black woman uh Lance Clark in the house she's so educated and thankfully it's our second session we have an appointment she's like girl what's going on so I tell her what's happening my therapist also has seven daughters no boys seven daughters she looks amazing and I'm like <laughs> To age so gracefully and have seven black daughters, girl, like, what's the secret? Because having to deal with all the things that happen to our children and you still look amazing, like, what's going on? So I tell her what happened and she's like, well, have you talked to your daughter about how she feels about things? And I'm like, no, because she's still in school. This happened yesterday, but they told me today. And so she's like, when you are thinking about what happened to your daughter, you are leading off of how you feel about it. Like, you are leading off of 30 years of your oppression, your racist incidents, and things have happened to you. You don't know how your daughter feels about this situation. Do you think your daughter would want you to call to school and go off and say things? I was like, hell no. Every time things happen, Zuri wants to, like, in my opinion, cower and just be like, you know, I don't want to make things bigger. I don't want it to be an issue, yada, yada, yada. She doesn't want me to get involved and go full-blown black mama the way that I always do. And so her, the therapist was like, so why don't you want to honor that? And I'm like, because I don't want my daughter to continue to face injustices and be afraid to stand up for herself and then 
I feel like I'm not standing up for her either. And she's like, well, then are you moving based on how you feel and your feelings about her situation over what she chooses is comfortable for her? And I'm like, yeah, I guess I am. Like, and she's like, she told me a situation that happened with her and her daughter. And she was like, of course, I wanted to scream and shout and be upset, but I had to handle it the way she wanted me to because Maybe it doesn't affect her the same way it affected you. And when I thought back to the two times that I had been called a monkey in my life, one was by Zuri's dad's brother. He just could not stand it that his brother was with a brown-skinned black woman, a black woman in general. He wanted him to be with a non-black woman, a Spanish woman, and did not like me at all because I was a black woman. Literally that. That is the only reason he didn't like me. We never got along. And... He spit in my face and called me a monkey one time. And I did not give a fuck because I was like, I was like, I look good. Is that the only thing you can say? You are a black man. You look like me. You are calling me a monkey because you hate yourself and your blackness. You're literally African. What? Like, why would you say something like this? Like, you are the the extent of our blackness. You are from our literal motherlands. Being should be proud of your heritage. And you're calling me a monkey. What the fuck? Like. And so it didn't affect me. It didn't make me feel like, oh, blah, blah. I was like, I'm cute. You don't like that I'm black and you're black. Like, we both look good. What's wrong with you? Like, and so I'm imagining had I told someone or my mom and they blew up, made the situation worse when it's like, uh, I don't give a fuck like that. That didn't traumatize me. And the second time was at work. And one of my Spanish friends called me and my other friend Little Monkeys. He was our friend. He was Spanish. And I kind of chuckled because I didn't know how to take it because this is someone I'm with every day, laughing with. He says nigga all the time. Of course, I'm in the sunken place this time. And he decides to call me and my friend as we're just laughing and joking. Oh, you little monkeys. So neither time felt so much I wanted to burn the house down. And then when I finally did talk to Zuri, that's how she felt. She's like, I just went and told the, the sub. And this girl's ugly anyway, and so she's just mad and jealous that, like, I'm cool and people like me. And I'm like, wow. And and the sub went off. They had a sub. The sub went off. The sub told the teacher. The teacher made a statement, got, made a big, like, deal of it and definitely addressed it the way, the way as big as it, as it was to me. Zuri, on the other hand, was like, anyways, let me send you a picture of this girl so we can flame her up. <laughs> and so... She's fine. She's good. And I'm like, wow, I was projecting and putting my trauma on her. And had I been able to talk to my baby at that time, I probably would have made it worse. Had I had they answered, it would have been awful. So they end up calling me back the next day. And I'm like, is this the principal? And it wasn't. They were like, it's the step before the principal. And so basically she's telling me all the things that are going to happen how it's it's definitely not okay and they have programs put in place they're going to talk to all the kids about racism all of the things bullying and how things like that are not never okay and so I'm like all right because if I have to have another problem bitch I will be calling again don't play with me don't play with my children but I was very calm things were okay and this is just like a moment to talk about how amazing therapy can be how I maintain like my mental health, my peace, and really dissect through situations to to work out the best way to respond to things. I can never control what's going to happen to my babies. I can only give them the tools to stand up for themselves, to feel like the best that they can about situations that will probably happen to them. 
And so, yeah, I hope everyone is in therapy. And I hope if you're not, this is a reminder to go back or this is an encouragement to take it up or to try it because every black person in this world needs therapy. I'm telling you now, it doesn't matter how happy you are, how good you are. It is, I think I'm great. I've done a lot of work to get to the root of a lot of my issues. I've taken courses and classes specifically with my job to really go on this journey of mental health wellness and to protect my peace and I still need therapy things will still happen that Pocono shit trauma will still occur specifically as me being a black woman having to deal with sexism racism colorism homophobia so we all need it trust me every person in this world needs it and I hope that you guys I hope that this encouraged someone to to go to therapy um also there is a Sailor Moon party happening tonight. It's in about 30 minutes. <laughs> and I was so excited to go. I got my tickets for it a month ago. The tickets were $10. And because of the flooding and me getting a text in Manhattan, I'm just like, I don't want to go out super late. If it's past 10 p.m., I don't want to be leaving my home that late. And I really, really wanted to go. It was called, It was a Sailor Boom party. And I'm just like, fuck. I wanted to show up and wear my cute little outfit. But my fears of like being attacked or being like a lone woman walking around in a neighborhood that I'm very familiar I mean very new to and unfamiliar with I'm just like I don't know about that as well as the fact that I'm an old woman I have not gone out since coming back here without my kids I have not once gone out and come home past 12 not at all the latest I've come home was maybe 11, and that was because of, like, a late volleyball game. I have not even been going out partying like that. I just feel not even so scared something will happen. I'm just tired. I'm trying to focus on my goals, trying to continue to do what I need to do to grow my brand, my brand, my business, and focus on empowering black women and helping the world. So I can say that I'm just going to have FOMO tonight and just not go out. The flooding has been nuts. I don't want to get caught in anything crazy. So, yeah. Um, but speaking of focusing on my goals, the last thing I wanted to talk to y'all about was the fact that my podcast release party is coming up. I rented out a space at, at Brooklyn Music Kitchen on October 19th. I'm super excited to, you know, be coming out. It's my season three premiere, and I'm going to have trivia like black trivia throughout the night bingo i'm gonna have two live performances with these two incredible women that i love like their music is amazing i truly truly love their music and feel connected to their music so i'm like, super excited about that as well as nude figure drawing so y'all come out and support your girl this is something very huge i'm venturing out to do and i'm nervous i'm excited but I don't know. I think I'm ready. I'm ready to show up for myself and do something for myself. And yeah. Oh, shout out to Mike, my baby daddy, because he has been editing my podcast for me. He has been helping me like create this flyer and like do cartoons on my on my iPad and just having so much patience with me when I'm in crisis. And he's just like he always answers the FaceTime, even while having um, our baby and just just shout out to you, Mike, because I appreciate you so much. All right. 
Let's get into these nuts. These nuts? <laughs> Got it. Okay, my first nut is going to black people because I love being black so much. A group of party goers were leaving Victoria Monet's concert. And as they were leaving, they realized it had started to rain. So it starts pouring down on them. Black people make the best of every opportunity. I could just feel our ancestors' souls in us. So you know these people had a good-ass time at Victoria Monet's concert because they all start to bust out in song. When I tell y'all, they are singing Kurt Franklin's version of Rain Down on Me. And when I tell y'all, it was like actually being in church, people singing the, the altos, the bravo, the bravo. Well, bravo to them. Soprano, baritone, bass, everybody knew where they were supposed to be singing, what note they were supposed to be hitting. And they were really singing this. Like, we took it back to church. Like, the comment section had me crying laughing because black people feeling the Holy Ghost, feeling the Spirit, and coming together and singing in a time of despair. It really brought me back to, like, slavery time where we're all experiencing a struggle and we sing and we support each other we uplift each other we come into unison together and create a magical moment out of something and while they're getting stormed on and just poured on they're all singing it was so beautiful love to see it love when black people come together and make magic because we are magic so shout out to y'all shout out to victoria monet okay just put in the spirit in all of us all right my next night we have had our first black mother mother daughter duo go to space in a historic moment anastasia anastasia Myers or myers m-a-y-e-r-s hope i got it right anastasia myers and wait anastasia i hope it's anastasia anastasia let's just say anastasia and her mother keisha Schnaff are the first mother-daughter duo to go to space and not only that they wore braids when they would go to space and it looks so cool seeing like all the gravity disappear and just their braids floating in this this damn um ship i'm just like whoa like the aircraft and they went on like a virgin virgin galactic flight and I just love to see it. Black girl magic, black girls with braids, and she's 18 years old. She's a student at Aberdeen University, and sh they asked her who she'd want to go with, and she's like, I couldn't think of anyone else I want to share this with than my mom, and I thought that was so beautiful because I'm telling you now, if I got to share an amazing moment, I'd pick my mom, and if it was something that I could pick someone younger, I really wanted to go to Africa, I would take my Zuri cat with me my baby my 11 year old so i just thought that was so special and amazing for them to do together they went up there they came back safely and yeah so my nut, my second nut goes to y'all let's move on my third and last good nut of our nuts this week is going to jay versace and if you don't know who jay versace is Come on down with me to this rabbit hole of the old school app Vine. Jay Versace was so fucking funny on Vine. 
YouTube. He had all these little short clips. He was hilarious. Type his name in. You'll know his face immediately. But like this was an Internet personality that so many of us loved and grew up with. He has gone from being this goofy, just iconic ass, hilarious Internet personality to being a Grammy winning producer. Like, and I did not know this just till recently. Doja Cat gave him credit for so many songs on her new album. And, you know, they'll have producers who just do, like, a little, like, nip and tuck and do, like, things that, like, don't really even matter. Or, oh, they were in the studio with me and said, suggested this. When I tell you Jay Versace did the most amazing transitions on Doja's album, go to his Instagram, go down the rabbit hole, and find out just the specific details he added to this album. This man is amazing. This kid, because he's 25, still very young, is just a prodigy, a literal genius. The fact that he has like been so talented, that he is so goofy, hilarious, and also can produce music. Not only that, I had to continue to look him up a little bit more and realize he got his first producing credits from Tyler the Creator because Tyler the Creator saw him listen to some of his songs because Jay Versace can also sing and he does like these funny little like um like personalities and he'll like sing and do all these things and Tyler was like mm, okay there's something there I want this kid to produce with me on one of his albums I think it was Call Me If You Get Lost which I love this album I knew like every song on this album and then did some more digging and he produced on SZA's latest album SOS from last year so shout out to Jay Versace he was almost my black sheep of the week but I'm gonna make him a nut because I'm just so proud and want to keep my nuts high for this week let's take it real low guys okay <laughs> my next nut Tupac's killer has been arrested I feel like this is Still really good news, but the tragic death of Tupac was 27 years ago, and we are just now finding out that Dwayne Keefe D. Davis was arrested on suspicion of murdering Tupac. So basically, he did an interview and kind of told on himself and said he was in the car that shot at Tupac when he was murdered. He didn't all out say, I murdered him, but they arrested him on suspicion of being the murderer. So it's very eerie to me that he would just tell on himself 30 years later. As he's talking, it does seem like his health, health may be deteriorating. A lot of people think that this is him taking the fall for Diddy or someone else who ordered the hit. That's not what I'm saying. That is alleged. That is speculation. But I will say it's very strange that he just came out and really gave this information out for free he just offered this up without anyone pressing him he wasn't in the like uh, interrogation room or anything he just offered this information up so it's very strange but yeah so Tupac's sister came out and gave a statement I'll read it she says her name is Sakiwa Shakur and she said this is no doubt a pivotal moment. The silence of the past 27 years surrounding this case has spoken loudly in our community. It's important to me that the world, the country, the justice system, and our people acknowledge the gravity of the passing of this man, my brother, my mother's son, my father's son. 
his life and death matters. So 30 years later, this family is getting some sort of peace around the situation. And it's just very sad to know that it took three decades of not knowing what happened to your family member, someone who was so important, so famous, and still didn't get any justice. So thankful for that piece for them. Let's move on to my next nut. It only goes down here from downhill from here, you guys. I don't know if anyone has seen this, but if you have not, look up the TikTok Subwares Teachers, aka Jacket. There is a clip, a video, uh, sorry, a picture going around of a student who they had a white sub, and the white sub decides to take the black teacher, their actual teachers, aka jacket, off her desk, off her um her chair at her desk, and you know, like the AKAs have like the Letterman jacket, it's all blinged out, it looks amazing, aka which is a sorority, a very prestigious sorority that's like a, a, a black sorority, and takes the teacher's letterman and puts it on. Don't know if the bitch was cold, whatever the fuck. And the teacher, the students go on to explain to her, this is not something you should be doing. Like, this is a very prestigious thing. This, this is a certain amount of honor that goes into crossing over the things you have to do to become uh, aka and the the white teacher does not give two fucks she continues to parade around the the jacket and i'm just like the fucking caucasity of these people me as the aka teacher seeing this shit would have been so livid and the students admittedly so are so angry and rightfully so and it's like she doesn't give a damn and i'm just remembering how much like pure audacity white people have to just do something and even if you thought or it was innocent and you're just like oh I'm cold first of all don't touch nobody's shit it don't matter if you knew or didn't know don't touch no one's shit but then these students go on to explain to you how much this means and why you were so disrespectful to do this and you're like I don't care I don't give two fucks jail put her under the jail I'm so sick of these white people (laughs) my next nut since we're talking about our good old AKA sisters, let's talk about Ebony K. Williams. Ebony K. Williams has sparked a huge debate. No, not because she refuses to date the bus drivers, which, girl, we all agree with. <laughs> but because she decided to go and make a statement on the Grio, this platform she is now a part of, and say that as black men's desire goes up with age black women's desire in society does the opposite as we get older fertility blah 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 the same old trope we've heard about black women decreases so she's encouraging women who would like to be married to find their partners younger in college because the ratio is already seven to one seven men to one seven women to one man So she encouraged us all to find our partners in college, because if not, as you age, your desirability will go down, fertility will decrease, and the smartest move is to partner up while you're young. Here's my issue with this, and a lot of women have agreed with this. All of the incels have entered the chat in the comment section. Black women are outraged. Black men 
are congratulating her, all the incels, that weird nigga from the Fresh and Fit podcast who hates black women were like, when I said this, black women called me racist. I've been telling y'all that y'all get uglier as y'all age and y'all just the Shaquishas of the world. And ma'am, when you got all of the incels agreeing, please let me tell you that something is wrong. Okay. So in a perfect world, what she is saying is valid, right? Just like the Tyler Perry came out here telling women, you know, if you're making all this money, it's okay to date a man for his personality and black women already make all this money. So y'all need to lower your standards, yada, yada, yada. The thing is people were already doing this. Black women are already dating any nigga who can just brush his teeth, drink water, does the bare fucking minimum. We're already dating the bus drivers and the niggas who just got off parole and sex offender. We are already dating any and every nigga. We are already in college looking for a partner. Y'all telling us this and giving us these same scarcity mindsets where it's like, oh, you're going to, your age is degree, your desirability decreases. You're not going to be attractive to other people as you get older. Black women are already looked at this way and you're putting your degrees and education first when you need to be having a man. This is so tired. I'm so tired of y'all telling us this. And in Ebony's defense, she says, well, I'm talking to women who want to be partnered and, you know, we know how the world looks at us. Okay, but if you drop in bombshells like this by not, but also are not saying, stating the other side of this, not stating the fact that society is racist, not stating the fact that society is colorist, not stating the fact that black women are doing absolutely nothing to get these awful tropes put on us, then you're doing us a disservice. Black women are already in college looking for partners. I was in college trying to date a person I thought I would be with the rest of my life. We're not talking about the fact that we don't have options. We don't have good, healthy men in college who are getting their degrees, who are healthy partners, who are not being toxic as fuck, who are not just dating the lightest of the skins and the non-black women to, to partner with them and to make them look better. You are acting like the darkest black woman because you're speaking to black women you're acting like we all have those same options of good men you're already saying it's seven to one so then what do you want all the six of these other women to do you're telling the one woman who was up against seven other women in college to fight for their man what are you telling us to do what do you want us to do we are already doing this tyler perry we are already women making millions of dollars we are already the kiki palmer's dating a nigga who ain't got a job we are already the Nicki minaj is being worth 100 million and our nigga just got off of parole for being a sex offender okay we ain't all doing that okay <laughs> but black women there's black women doing it clearly if you have these women out here stop telling black women what we need to do because we are still dating those men we are dating in college and finding out fucking around and finding out these niggas still ain't shit we are dating at six figures and, and, and reaching for the fucking ground and pulling niggas out of the grave to try to have a healthy partner. We are building these men up to be healthy partners to us and they are still choosing not to do it. Why do y'all keep putting the accountability on black women to somehow find this pot of gold at the end of this fucking rainbow that's tainted with sexism, massage noir, fucking all of these isms that do not help. There are no people coming out saying, Men, you got to do better. Ebony, when they are in these comments comparing you to Cam Kevin Samuels, you just got to you gotta let it go. And I do think a bit of her speaking from a place of, I put my career first and I did all these things. Okay, that's you. If you feel like you missed out and you should have looked younger and you should have thought about this in college, speak about, write a memoir, girl. 
write a fucking memoir. And this is especially annoying to me because I admire Ebony K. Williams. I listen to her podcast. I love what she talks about. I do believe a lot of her things come from a place of black elite. Cause she was like, this is what we're speaking about in our circles of, of black women making all this money. Okay. Well, that still doesn't make it right. That still doesn't mean the mass majority of people need to be doing this. The mass majority of black women need to be listening to this. You should have saved this for your group chat. This could have been something you left in the fucking group chat with your friends. I'm sorry. At the, the, the elite brunches that you go to with these women. If you want younger black women to make better choices, please don't tell us to make lifelong decisions before our frontal lobe has been developed. At 25 years old is when our frontal lobe gets developed. I don't think any women should be tying themselves to any man at that age. And that's not to say that there hasn't been amazing, successful relationships with women who found their partners in high school, middle school, or college and stayed together. But the majority of women, uh, the majority of, of men are not being healthy partners to women at any age. So I damn sure I'm not going to encourage women before they have even gained their own independence when they've gone from being under their parents' authority to now be under a man's authority, a relationship's authority, under this umbrella of God, man, uh, woman. Like, I'm not going to encourage that. I'm going to encourage women to get their degrees, get their education, discover themselves. Not even if you get out of high school, you don't want to do nothing. If you want to get a business, if you want to just figure out who you are, I am going to encourage our girls to do what you want to do for your life. And then scaring women with this, like, fertility issues. What about the women who can't have kids? You, like, it's so ignorant to tell women, you, as you get older, you may not be able to have kids. Okay, what if I can never have kids? What if I already can't have kids? So what's the point of me rushing? What is the point of me rushing? You can adopt. There are so many amazing people who have been adopted by women way later in life, by parents way later in life. They're like, even 70 years old, 60 years old, older, adopting these kids because they have their whole lives together. These are some of the best parents in the world when they have all their money together, financial security, emotional stability, and can raise healthier children because they've lived a life. Yeah, your parents will be old at soccer games and all that, but so there's healthy ass old people. Stop acting like this clock is ticking and we need to have our eggs cracked by a certain age. It makes women feel more scared and may and puts them in a position to make more dangerous choices for themselves. A lot of women are making choices based on society's expectations of them and this scarcity mindset, this mindset that society is driving into them versus them doing things because they love, like because they actually doing things out of love and out of like, um, actual thought process without actually being educated, making very informed decisions. They're just doing things because society is scaring them to thinking that they have to Leonardo DiCaprio, nigga is 50, still dating children. No one is telling him your ball sack might run dry. So get it together right now. No. And then y'all still comparing us to white women. Y'all are still comparing black women. Cause in this comment, in this caption, she wrote, compared to, to white women who, who spring to the ring, black women are going for education. Stop comparing us to white women. White women are going springing to the ring. Why? Because white men have generational wealth. You think I wouldn't be springing to the ring if I know I'm going to get abused by these men, but I at least get a little generational wealth out of it. Okay, that'd be different. Y'all Russian men, y- y'all don't ever say anything to men because men can tie themselves to a black woman, leave and get a, a nice paycheck like Mary J. Blige. Can do or can don't, whatever the nigga name is, 
divorced our or cheated on our Mary and after their divorce she has to pay for him and his new girlfriend and they baby to $25,000 a month so marriage is not the smartest option for black women who have who are leading in education and financial security fuck no it's not no I'm not going to tell our girls to tie themselves to this when white women get to tie themselves to wealth Yes, it makes sense for white women to to date these men who have this money. Why are we still comparing ourselves to white people? I don't give a fuck what they're doing. Let the Karens go over there and, and do what they do. I'm doing what's best for myself. If the thing, if is if the first thing coming out your mouth, if the first thing coming out your mouth is not telling black women to do whatever is best for them to feel happy, you need to be quiet. You need to be quiet. And I understand. Like, we should be listening to our elders, women who of age. I do feel that. I, I do recommend talking to women and asking them the smartest thing. But when you ask a group of women, specifically black women, I'm in this group where, like, it's all black mothers. And they're asking all of the younger girls always ask the older women, what would you have done if you could do things different? All of them are saying, I would never have focused on men. I would never have focused on romance because all of our parents did it. Why are y'all acting like we're in a world where black women are are have this beautiful like oasis of options? And it's like on one hand, it's a degree in education. And on the other hand, it's this healthy relationship with this man who wants to marry you and give you the world. And black women are like, swerve, I'm getting my degree, mama. OK, fuck this man. Fuck all this healthy shit that I could have over here. I'm getting my degree. Black women ain't doing that. No, we are putting all type of shit on on hold. We're putting our fucking emotional needs on hold we're putting the best we're putting these men before everything in our lives so you're telling us you're doing everything right they still aren't doing enough but we want y'all to do more what are you talking about y'all still blaming us for the fact that there's not enough men making the right choices i'm tired i am so fucking tired i just could not believe she actually said this and i'm like you are someone who is successful and have went through these things and saw these things, but you're also speaking from a place of privilege. You have money, you have light skin, you have all these options, and you still have not found a healthy partner. So what the fuck do you think we should be doing? Okay? Like, what 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 are we supposed to be doing to have different options when we have to deal with colorism, trying to f- feed my children tomorrow, and you still want us to somehow pull this nigga out of our ass and be like, what what can we do you see the the kenneth petties of the world and kiki baby daddy i don't even know that nigga name you see that they still not making the best options and they and the women have lowered the bars the bar is in hell for us at this point please stop telling black women what we need to be doing to make better options when we already don't have enough healthy men out here and we ain't even talking about femicide. We ain't even talking about the fact that these relationships, most of the time, we're in danger. Most of our mamas and aunts and grandmas then almost been killed by these men. But you want us to think younger before we even gain any independence or fin- financial stability. And you want us to partner ourselves with these men. It'd be different if you was telling us to look outside of our race to be treated differently. But you didn't say that. Ebony, Tyler, shut y'all rich asses up. My next nut, which is just going to be my final nut. I had about three other nuts, and I'm just like, ugh. Tired of talking about how oppressed black people are, specifically the dangers and the awful things happening to black women. But child, Blueface uploaded a picture of his child's genitals and put it online. 
Yep, that's my next nut. My next nut is the fact that a man, a grown-ass man, decided to upload a picture of his baby's genitals, less than month-old baby, to provoke the mother of his child. And, like, at this point, I'm just like, how can men just do what the fuck ever and just get away with it? It just blows my mind. Time and time again, I'm like, this man should be in jail. This is something I think... Someone should be in jail for. Meanwhile, Britney Spears over here dancing with knives and y'all called a wellness check on her when only people who was really scared or the only thing scared were her damn dogs <laughs> running around in that damn video. Did y'all see that? <laughs> it was crazy. Y'all calling wellness checks. Why are y'all not calling CPS on this man? Why are y'all not calling CPS on this man? He does lives. He's endangering these kids. He's letting grown women pop their ass in front of his little ass son i'm just like i don't know what to say i know we all saw that video of krishan in walmart without supporting her baby's head i just this baby this i can only imagine how this baby will be the the traumas this baby will face and this is not me shaming her because new moms the babies go through so much but like I wish this girl would get some help. I wish that y'all would stop promoting all of their back and forth and just actually someone step in and and help her and this baby, truly, for this baby's sake. I'm kind of over what she and this man are deciding to do in this relationship. He is awfully abusive. She wants to stick around. You got to just support victims and meet them where they're at and let her do what she want to do. But when it comes to this baby... I am honestly overwhelmed with how much trauma this baby is going through at less than a month old. This baby is less than a month out of the the vagina. Okay. Shot out and shot straight to hell. Straight to fucking hell on earth. Like, I cannot believe that this man did this and then tried to say that his Twitter got hacked because Twitter hackers, they don't, they don't want to just steal money. No, 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 no. They're not out here looking for financial means. What they want to do is post pictures of your baby's genitals because that'll get a rise out of people. What? What are you fucking talking about? This dude is a menace. Like, he's actually a despicable human being. And I just, I don't know what else to say. Please, CPS, get involved. Please, she. That's enough for her to, to make sure that she should never have to send her baby over there. Please, Krishan get some support, do his best for that baby and leave that man alone. I just, my last night is just to say that masculinity, toxic masculinity is awful. The patriarch is disgusting. And these men don't even have to be the barest of minimum to, to be supported. And it's disgusting because I'm sure people will forget all about this next week and be jamming out to his songs. Like it's nothing. Be watching him and supporting him and his foolishness because y'all love to do it. All right. That's enough for the nuts. Let's get into this episode. Okay, this week I really wanted to talk to you guys about what it's like being a black woman in the workplace and the workplace in general when it comes to being specifically a black woman. This is very different from being a black person or a black man because of the amount of microaggressions you face as a woman and while being black. So I got to this topic because I was watching 
the other black girl and i'm also reading that amazing book homebodies which i'll speak about later in the episode and it just reminded me of all of the the ways i have like all of the really horrible things that i've gone through as a black woman in the workplace and how dangerous it is for black women to thrive and even exist at work so first of all we already got to deal with the fact that we got to go to work every day work a nine to five work a job we may hate and then we have basically a whole second job of having to survive the job within doing the actual job because we're black women and from my last episode one of my good friends wrote me and said like my microaggression really sat with her because my micro of the week last week was touching black women i mean complimenting black women's hair in a way that is microaggressive as fuck a backhanded compliment might might i add because it's not a real compliment it's basically you just trying to be condescending and forming it as a compliment and she was telling me about this woman at her job an asian woman who would would do the basically the same thing and even went on to like hit her in the head trying to get her attention and hurt and she said it gave her a headache the rest of the day this woman is always being microaggressive and i'm like you know what let's talk about let's talk about the workplace for our black asses okay i all of these reasons have gone into why i am at my current job with all the trauma i deal with because i'm in domestic violence and i'm having to hear these traumatic stories every day so much that I took a mental health day today specifically sometimes I have to take mental health days just to be able to do the regular things in my life like take a shower like record an episode like help my kids or spend time with family because the work I do is so traumatic but one of the main reasons that I do the job that I do is because I get to work from home I don't have to go to work to a place where I have an entire second job So what does that mean? We go to work, we clock in, and we're doing what we are paid to do, as well as the underlying job of being able to thrive as a black woman, because you're never allowed to show up at work as a black woman and just be okay. You can't just go to work, do what you do. Again, black women lead in the amount of degrees being um, completed, right? Black women are leading in that. So You would think that these women who fought so hard to have all this education would be doing an amazing job at work. And while we do, it is so hard to do it because y'all won't leave us the fuck alone and just let us do our jobs. It brought me back to my very first job at Domino's, 15 years old. I couldn't wait to work. Okay, when I got to when I saw the struggles my mom went through as a single mom, I couldn't wait to go to work, make money. I would give her like my whole paycheck, like just to help out. I just wanted to bring home money for my family and make my mama proud. And I remember thinking this, this was Domino's. It was, it was like walking distance from my house. I'd go. And our manager at the time was evil. She was a white woman. She might've been Spanish, but white passing like white. If you saw her, you would think she's a white woman. The biggest Karen in the world at this time, I didn't even know racism existed. I didn't know all of the isms. I just knew that me and my black friend, she treated us like actual slaves. She would scream at us. She would talk to us crazy. She'd make us feel like we had to be perfect. We'd be overworked. We'd be doing manager jobs at 15 years old, just being thankful that we're getting paid $5.85 an hour. I was getting paid $5.85 in my first job. And it's crazy to think about it because it's actually like slavery, yo. Like, you finish an eight-hour shift and someone hands you 
thirty something dollars. Insane because taxes, of course. And so at that time, it didn't even it wasn't even direct deposit. So if we didn't come pick up our check, this bitch just wouldn't give us our money. <laughs> and then it brought me to my very last job before the job I have now, which was at the post office. And when I tell you within that 20 year span or or what is that I was 15 so oh 10 year span a decade it was very much still a slave ship if you ask anyone about the post office it is actually like slavery it is actually like walking onto a plantation and being treated like less than a person the fact that I'm at a job now where you can call in you don't even have to explain to them We'd call in at this job. You'd come and have your your manager sit you down like it was an interrogation, ask you where you went, want to speak to the doctor, want like I had like this intensive surgery and I so I got an abortion. I had a surgery. I had to be out. And my manager went around and, and looked up my doctor, what the actual surgery was and went around telling everyone I had got an abortion. Insane, right? Crazy, right? So there's a whole nother level of having to survive and 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 it was like the surgery was like because when you get an abortion you're not even allowed to talk about an abortion because there's so much shame around it so you can't even talk about the pain you go through how awful it is how traumatic it is how your depression everything so then I have to go to work and find out that my manager my boss has told everyone and I have to live with that shame and everyone else's opinion around it while having no support because bitch you shouldn't have opened your legs right so I'm like, there's, it's crazy that we don't even as black women get to talk about this. Even the richest women like Gabrielle Union, who was on The Voice, was a judge on The Voice. They were telling her she couldn't wear braids. They were talking about her hairstyles. And so many people didn't even have her back. I remember Terry Crews, even when she had Terry Crews's back, and he was like, thanks, but I ain't got to have your back. Deadass said this. That's it. That's her husband's job. I don't need to have her back. I'm glad she had my back, but I ain't got to have hers. Um, no one would stand up for her. No one would actually talk about the fact that this is a very successful, rich black woman who has all the accolades and still has to deal with an insane amount of microaggression and racism at the workplace. And while I'm saying that this is very different than being a black man, because, yes, black men have to deal with racism, but you still have so much power in being a man. The next man will relate to you and promote you over over even white women. They will promote you as a, a man over women in general. So you still have an amount of privilege. You may still be under these white men, but you're only one intersection away from being at the top. So a lot of black men get to be in places of authority, get to be overseers, get to be like the people in charge over everyone else because you still get a lot of privilege as a man. And other men will see that as something to see themselves in, right? They'll still see you. Non-black women don't feel like that. White women are the biggest enemy to black women when we go to work. So at the post office, I had this white woman. Her name was, I don't give a fuck about saying her name. What was her name? My friend's going to be like, bitch, I can't believe you can't remember this bitch's name. I cannot remember this white bitch's name to save my life. Rebecca. Rebecca Park. And everybody knows this woman. Everybody at the post office, she was very famous for being a, a Karen. And we were, quote, unquote, friends. We started together. I didn't know about how white women acted. When I tell you this woman was secretly evil, would go around, start drama, would tell everyone that I was saying this stuff about them, I didn't know. I didn't, truly didn't understand or know why people would just target you. 
And it got so bad that she could get away with murder at work. She could call in for weeks at a time. She could do whatever. Meanwhile, if we were a minute late from break, the we'd be getting called into the office. There was a point in time where I had a black uh, supervisor. He got in trouble because he told us that they called him into the office. He was He's a supervisor making all this money. They, the highest people, the, the like top of the the chain called him in and basically told him you need to be watching those black girls at the door watch them like a hawk he's like you want me to just watch the black people write the black people up i'm not doing that so even when you get promoted as a black person up there you still have to target the black people lower than you it's like just working your way up in in the the um field on the fucking plantation and now you just overseeing the other black people on some real shit so not only are white people specifically white women allowed to do things you could never do but then you are targeted for the smallest amount of things so i'm friends with this woman and this is when i learned about white woman tears because she was going around telling people stuff it was like high school i would just show up and be in drama and i'd be like why is this person mad at me why won't this person talk to me she just felt so threatened by me would talk to me pretend to be my friend invite me to do stuff and she was like actually evil behind my back so one day someone tells me, this girl says all this about you. And and what white innocence does, it makes anyone around you actually believe this person. So this is a white woman. They see them as innocent. They'll believe anything she says. And this is a black girl. Of course, she's messy. Of course, she's aggressive, blah, blah. So everyone's believing her. One day it all comes to head. People tell me what she says. And I'm furious. I go off. They pull us into the office. She is She is 20 years older than me. She is like 45. She starts hysterically crying. And I'm like... I'm so confused and I'm looking around. I'm like, why are you crying? You're like 40 years old starting drama. Why are you crying? This is when I was cued into white women's tears. So I'm like, okay. And I was listening to an episode of the read and a woman, a white woman wrote in and was like, yeah, my mama told us to to, to do that. She said, anytime you get into trouble, anytime you want to get out of a situation, cry, people will see that feel bad for you run to your aid. So we are like, okay, this is something they teach their daughters. Like they teach them, to do caring ass shit and other people care even black people even black men they'll stop it for a, a white woman crying overseeing the next black woman cry and, and be in pain and scream at the top of their lungs they'll just look at them like they're crazy so white woman tears they weaponize their tears and it really works and so i'm learning that i'm like whoa women deal with this everywhere so i go down the rabbit hole I'm listening to a whole bunch of women's stories and I'm realizing that black women are extremely overworked, extremely underpaid, not getting paid what we deserve. And then the more we work, the more work we're expected to do for others. So I noticed working at the post office when I would do uh, go fast, get my job done. There was no there was no merits being given. There was no great job. Anytime there was an award, they would always give it to white women. It will always be white men being promoted and white women getting awards for the bare minimum. And I'm like, how is it that these white people are always getting these $50 gift cards and shit like that? Because white mediocrity is, is at an all time high, right? You can do the smallest of things. And as a black person, you're just expected to do more. So it doesn't matter how much I did, no matter if I clocked in and get my job done within an hour, then they would send me to, to a white woman section or white person section and, want me to help them do their job so then i'm like okay now i'm going slower then you'd be getting rid, rid up because you're not doing productivity so it is like an impossible thing to show up and to be a black woman at work because they're already especially if you're in a in a position of like making six figures or something they are over analyzing you even more 
I hear that it's a lot better in tech, right? I'm not sure, and I'm not excusing, but I hear that a lot of women, black women in tech, they're like, you get to work from home, and all they care about is your numbers. If you're doing your numbers, you pulling your weight, cool, right? Black people are saying all day getting to tech. But I notice, like, very higher-up jobs, black women are micromanaged and picked apart for the smallest of things. And down to our hairstyles, you can be, like I said about Gabrielle Union, get called into work. And this is why we get so annoyed when non-black women wear our hairstyles because you get to get away with that. We get called in for meetings. We have to change our hairstyles. We don't get our degrees in high school because we wore an Afro, shit like that. And when you are working somewhere really important, a doctor or anything, you have to be 20 times as good as your counterparts just to get the same amount of merits and kudos that they get. Same type of rewards that like mediocre white people get. And I remember I took Zuri one time to the doctor's office and a white man was was doing her stitches. He was doing an awful job. He was learning. He was like, his hand was shaking. Meanwhile, the other women who were also learning and training, very proficient. And I'm like, that's because as a white man, he can be bare minimum and still make it as far as a doctor. Women are overanalyzed, micromanaged, so then you have to work 10 times as hard, be perfect, and usually do a much better job. There was a CEO, I can't remember the name of the company, I'm not even about to stop my thought process to think of it, and he was talking about he only hires black women because he's like the amount of oppression they face, they have to do a perfect job. I know that if I need anything done perfectly, I'm paying black women what they deserve because they're going to get it done, and they're going to take care of me when they're doing it. This white man, he, he owns some type of company, and he said all the women under him like all the women who work for his company all the way from the ground up black women and he says everything gets done what needs to get done so if you got rid of racism and sexism and all the isms in your mind you would get shit done have a company that was ran way more proficient because you decided to bet on black women and you never felt betting on black women so how do we combat all of the bullshit that we face while in the workplace? All the micromanagement, all of the isms, the toxicity. First of all, if you can get a work from home job, please do it. Please find a remote job and be at the comfort of your own home. If I'm going to be traumatized, I'm not trying to be traumatized by the work and by the people. Give me one fucking traumatic ass thing to deal with at a time. Another idea can be working for a black company. Try finding companies that are black owned or specifically specifically related to empowering black women. Like I work for the I um just became part of Jeremiah program and the women who work for this for this program love it. Try finding things that empower black women are for the community, um nonprofits. I know that they still have their issues, but it could be beneficial to try and find more black-owned thing or woman-led things because at least the job that I'm doing now, while it's not black-owned, it is woman-led. And being around a lot more women, it at least I, at the end of the day, I don't have to deal with an insane amount of sexism. It takes that out. There's still other issues, but it takes out at least at the bare minimum sexism and not having to deal with being sexually harassed at work because – one day, one day, I'm going to open up and tell you guys all of the things that happened when I was working at the post office, and you would be amazed. I mean, gun, guns coming to work, people being threatened with guns, women being pantsed, 
the type of things I actually witnessed and people got to keep their jobs for because they were men blows my mind till this day. I can't believe I survived the post office. So one day that'll happen. But speaking of sharing your story, another idea is to always keep a paper trail. Black women, keep a paper trail of every single thing that happens at your job. Every micromanage, every microaggression that happens, every small little issue, write it down every single time, every little bitty thing. And I learned this from my old friend working at this white place she working at. Like, write down any and every single thing that happens day by day. Every single time you feel even slightly annoyed. That microaggression, that girl touched my hair, that girl blah, blah. Write that shit down. And then I'm learning from this book. I'm reading Homebodies. You can write your story one day, one day when this place gets exposed. You have the whole backstory to let people know exactly what you went through. And it's important. Your story is extremely important. Keep a paper trail. I'm telling you now, if you're listening to this, even if you're just someone dealing with bullshit at your job and you're not a black woman, keep a paper trail. Keep a paper trail. Because trust me, if black women are dealing with it, other people are dealing with all type of shit, okay? Keep a paper trail at your job. Write down shit you don't even think is important. Who's sleeping with who? Write all that shit down, okay? Because one day, the shit is going to come crumbling down, and you're going to have that story right there. A next idea is contact HR. One thing black women do, we go straight to the person to handle an issue because we not petty we're not childish we're gonna go straight to a person handle an issue one thing pull that phone out or pull that voice recorder out and record any and every time that you address something with someone in person secondly start going to hr so we go straight to that person so we can handle things but white women will go to hr bring their tears and pretend like you said things in a certain way and did a neck roll and put your hands out and tried to fight them so paper trail every motherfucking thing, record everything, and stop going straight to that person and go to HR. Go straight to HR with your problems. And I know that can cause issues too because whereas white women can cry to HR and they'll try to fix anything, when black women complain, then you just become a target and people say you just complain all the time. Keep a paper trail of you when you go to HR. I recorded every conversation I ever had with my ex-manager. I recorded when I called him out for being racist and he didn't deny it. I recorded all that shit at, at, the, at the post office, all of it. He was looking like, wait, you know I'm racist? <laughs> like, I'm for real. I'm for real. So start going to HR. And if HR does nothing, go to EAP. If you have EAP, go to your union. Go above their head. Record everything. Even if you are not in a two-party state, record everything. At least you have it. At least you know exactly what was said. If it ever comes a legal thing, you got the proof. Even if the judge says that's not admissible, they can at least hear it and say, okay, now I know what's happening. I know what's up. Paper trail, paper trail, contact HR. I know it's not an easy journey to be black in the workplace, but think about whatever idea you have for the world and create it, okay? Because the more businesses black women have, the safer environments people have. Always find alliances. Black women, you need to start having alliances with the other black women in your workplace. And I know it's hard because a lot of these hoes be coons, okay? A lot of these hoes be whitewashed because they want to be, they want to thrive. Look at the other black girl. A lot of people want to thrive in the workplace, so they do the whitewashing because that is their survival mechanism and that is their right. But if you're listening to this, start partnering with black women. Start talking outside of work. Start writing down the things you have. Have each other's back. Even if you don't want everyone to know it's out loud, have that unspoken rule. And it's not the same with women of color. So I'm not going to tell you to go out there and trust every non-black woman. But try to be in partnership and alliance with other black women at work. Really try to form a group with the black women so y'all can try to talk about things 
form a group where you we used to have this thing in my job where it was um called uh infinity group and all the black women could get in in a session we had we could go during work and just get an hour off the lines and talk about racism in the workplace microaggressions bullshit we could just all we had a therapist in the room we could all just talk about shit form that on your own form that on your own or go to your to the office and tell them this is important we're dealing with these microaggressions racism and we think it's important that we at least have an hour a week to meet to deal with the bullshit happening and to talk about things amongst ourselves it's extremely important so just a little bit of tidbit for you guys there's so many more things i know but I'm going to cut it off there and say that black women, I'm praying for y'all. I'm thinking about y'all and I'm hoping that your mental health is okay in these awful ass situations because it's not enough that we go through the world and have to deal with racism and microaggressions, but we have to go to work where we clock in and don't even want to be, or maybe you do love it. And it's the one, the microaggressions are the one thing keeping you from really enjoying your day. And I'm sorry you have to go through that. I see you. I hear you, bitch. I feel you. Okay. Just try to be okay. Find some peace in your day. Find a good book to read. Talk to other black women and remind yourself that they're the issue and it's never you. You are amazing. The world needs you and you're a fucking superhero. All right. Gonna take a break and bring you guys my black sheep of the week. Of the week. Black, black sheep of the week. Hey, black sheep of the week. <laughs> Okay, my Black Sheep of the Week is going to Afro-Cuban artist Harmonia Rosales. She has a new exhibition at Spelman College Museum of Fine Art. And what she does is she has put a twist on the Renaissance paintings and put all African and dark-skinned people, like the angels. I have She's my Black Sheep because I have wanted so desperately to go to churches or cathedrals or see art with that beautiful renaissance look and i've always wanted to see it with black people we are the original people right the first people on the earth are the darkest of skin black people so to see this woman she's a light-skinned afro-latina have so much respect and beauty for blackness that she didn't need to put what she looked like in these paintings she put her original people and blackness in this artwork it is beautiful please if you don't know this girl's if you never if you've never heard this artist go to her instagram her instagram is honey h-o-n-e-i-e-e on instagram honini that's that's her instagram name and go check out her artwork it is so beautiful like child if i could afford i'd have these paintings on my wall they're so beautiful they're so so amazing and she said for I mean it says for seven years the artist has created paintings and sculptures in this theme as a way of shifting the focus of western art away from white white centric model because you know white people have colonized the western world and made everything in their image and she is taking that back and what resistance and what beauty through her art it's just I need you all to see this so you're my black sheep of the week because I have been craving for this type of amazing artwork. Love, love, love it. Okay, let's get into what I've been watching. And for this week, I'm going to do what I have been reading. My goodness, Homebodies by Tim Day Denton Hurst is a phenomenal book. Like, I can't, I cannot stop talking about this book. I was staying up late to read this book. 
every subway ride i had this book on me with the tra- on the train i just i was so deep off in this book you know how we doom scroll and just scroll 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 for hours that was me with this book this book was so beautiful and it is a is a cultural shift to read books written by black people it is so deep there's such things experienced and like that you visibly get from books written this way so it's the same as like taking in media that has not been that is just black when and it's a difference because these books come right from the the author's own like mind and and feel versus when you watch a show it's been produced by white people yes a, a black person wrote it but it's been produced by white people and you don't get all of the same deep feels that you would get unless the writer's black the producer's black the company's black and then still sometimes it's a lot of whitewashing but there is a way that black work is written that black authors do such an incredible job with making you feel the blackness through their work there was parts in this book where she described clipping her grandma's heels in the in the market when she when you run over your your mama or your grandma's heels on accident they go off on you choosing canada dry over schweppes whatever the hell that other other uh ginger ale is um yeah it was just such deep deep like dialogue that just spoke to your blackness and you're like you're reading this and you know exactly what this person is saying you know exactly how they said it when she's talking about dribbling a ball and just their fingers how it is just so black this work is so amazing i am a forever fan Timbe. i love it so this book is about a, a queer black woman who is working at this toxic ass white place and feeling like she's never good enough or in this place that she's supposed to be it's really essentially like being a a black person in in the world like you never feel it's a a certain uncomfortability and unease that you feel in the workplace at all times it's the same way we exist in the world it's like you're always in trouble you know you got to get back on time you're always in this sense of urgency that if you don't do something right you're going to get fired or they're going to say something they're going to write you up it's it's like going into a store not not buying anything and when you're going to leave you automatically think someone thinks you're going to steal because that is our experience. And she writes this in such a way that it's like I uh, I was triggered thinking about being at work, having to come back in and not be a minute late. Had like all of those anxious it, it took me 6 months of working in my current job before I got a sense of ease. Kind of, not even fully at ease before I could even call in, before I could even be a couple minutes late back from break, like 3 minutes late and people are not automatically pulling me into uh, predisciplinary action it's like so she describes this and then the woman in the book just suddenly gets fired for absolutely no reason she goes to write basically her story about what she experienced there and it goes viral and it talks about that it talks about her being in this queer relationship with a woman whose whose family is not really accepting whose parent is not really there for it or here for it and her it's really a love story about herself, how her identity as a black queer woman and what that means in a workplace, what that means in relationships, how her insecurities show up. This book is so raw. This book was so deep. It discusses her mom who left to go to New York and discover herself. It made me think about me and my children. And what if I'm causing them 
abandonment issues. She talked about her own abandonment issues. There was moments I cried. There were moments where she was describing the queer romance so well, I had to, like, close the book and masturbate. Like, it was so fucking awesome. This book is incredible. Like, I felt... You know it's good when you you don't even have to, like, watch porn. You just... The scenes you get from reading the book, I'm like... I need to touch myself now, okay? It was incredible. It's like you just feel this perfectionism that you as a black woman have to meet, this standard that you have for yourself that no one told you to have, but the world has definitely told you to have without saying it, these ways in which you you just feel it. This book made me feel the deep descriptions of specific emotions had me like, had my heart racing. Just the feelings radiating through my body. I'm like, I have to know. I look, I have to get an interview with this woman. I have to speak to this woman. I have to dive into the mind of this incredible, incredible writer. And I really encourage you to read this book. I really want to do a book club and make everyone read this book because black women need to read this book. It's perfect. I love it. Okay. What I've been watching. So I finished The Other Black Girl. I know I talked about it last week. There was so much backlash about it. I was very sad about that. But I will say, I do understand people feeling like, sometimes I'm like so woke that I'm like, everyone already knows racism and colorism and all these toxic things. But I forget that viewers who don't know how bad it is will just take certain work for what it is. So you will watch this show as someone who may not be as aware and think that like, it's black woman against black woman. Whereas, you know, the other black girl didn't really dissect or really didn't call out, it, it, this is white supremacy that does this. And, like, it pins us against each other. And watching it, I feel like I watched it for the entertainment value. I hate that we have this responsibility to make sure we do everything perfect and right as black people. Have to hit everything. You have to, sometimes it's hard to just write fantasy or to just write fiction because, all of the isms will show up and we're held to a higher standard as black women to do it the right way so that other black women aren't triggered. Whereas we just watch white shows and they say in the N word in the first fucking episode, always sunny in Philadelphia. Couldn't even get through that shit. Um, so it's, we're held at a higher standard, but I watched this show just for pure entertainment and I loved it. I truly did. But I do understand the backlash it's getting for pinning yet another black person, a black woman against black woman, when they could just be friends and take down white supremacy. But it was great. I liked it. I really enjoyed it. Um, I just watched the movie Reptile. It had Justin Timberlake in it. My God, Justin Timberlake is insufferable. He cannot act. But it was a good movie. I just finished it the other night. The main character, his romance with Alicia Silverstone, his wife, is great. It's just such a good movie. I really enjoyed it. It shows how evil cops are, how corrupt the system is. And I enjoyed it. I really would encourage you to watch it if you want a good thriller on your hands. What else have I been watching? I think that's it. I really, for life me, can't remember right now. So whatever, let's move it on. All right, my micro of the week. My micro of the week is going to be. So we had a volleyball game, and at the end of the game, this ref who irks my fucking soul, he already gets on my nerves. He he just does little things that, like, 
microaggressive in in himself stuff like you're supposed to throw the ball under the net to give it to the person and when i don't do it he gets upset but other team or anyone else can throw the ball over the net just little stuff that irks me so my team played against this other team my whole team is not black i'm the only black person on my team the other team everyone was white or whatever else and they had one black girl as well we did great. Our team killed it. We did good. The other team barely lost to us. They did great, too. At the end of the game, the ref, this microaggressive ref, gets me and the black girl and puts us next to each other. And he goes, I would love to see both of y'all play together on the women's team. I think y'all do a good job. And me and I look at each other like, what? You just grab the black girl on this team and the black girl on the other team and just put us together and said, you'd love to see us play together? And so... He, like, smiles at himself, and he, like, puts his, crosses his hands, like, I've done a great thing here. So I look at her and was like, well, I guess the two black girls need to play together. She laughs so fucking hard. She's like, and he kind of just walks off, like, doesn't know what to say. And she laughs so fucking hard. She's like, I can't believe you said that. And I'm like, I mean, that's what he did. There's other, there's other girls on both teams. You just grabbed the two black girls and said you'd love to see us. Like, there was nothing we had in common, not position, not anything, for him to just grab us and say this and act like he did some white savior moment. And it's not like, oh, this was a big deal. Me and her got each other's number and was like, let's keep, let's, you know, just keep up because why not? If you want to play on the women's team, we both can. Um, but <laughs> it's just such a microaggression because he was like, look at this black girl, look at this black girl. These two black girls need to be doing some black shit together. Go over there and black it up on the girls' team. Like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> my microaggression of the week is just tell white people shut up just be quiet you're not doing anything for us just be quiet if you're not fighting for us to exist shut your ass up all right party favors my party favors is my party favor for this week is to always give yourself grace and don't talk to yourself in a way that others that you wouldn't talk to others right be patient with yourself and be okay with making mistakes as long as you're learning from them as long as you're treating others good I think that we can be such harsh critics to ourselves and expect perfection from ourselves whereas you'd give grace to other people that you wouldn't allow for yourself so train yourself to be kind give yourself the space to to mess up do bullshit be in bad situations and get out of them and praise yourself for always doing better that's all i got for y'all this week i'm out